Pray with me. Father in heaven, we are desperate for you. Even as we sing this song, it's clear, at least in my own heart, I don't even know how desperate I am for you. I'm sure way more desperate than I feel, than I think. The great news for us is that you come to seek and to save us. So I pray now that as the word is open to us, as the scripture uh, is preached, that you would be with us to enable us to hear, give us ears to hear, that it fills this desperateness that we have individually and corporately. Be with Chad, Father, as he comes to share. May his words be yours to us. And this we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Good morning. Please open your Bibles to Psalm 55. Psalm 55 and verse 1. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint, and I moan. Because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they drop trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far off. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. Destroy, O Lord, divide their tongues, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it on its walls, and iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is in its midst. Oppression and fraud do not depart from its marketplace. For it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me, then I could hide from him. But it is you, O man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house we walked in the throng. Let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive, for evil is in their dwelling place and in their hearts. But I call to God, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage. For many are arrayed against me. God will give ear and humble them, he who is enthroned from of old, because they do not change and do not fear God. My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter. Yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. In our Thursday night college Bible study here at the church, we have been going through the Psalms. And in particular, we've been focusing in the way in which the Psalms capture the struggle of the heart as the psalmist grasps or attempts to grasp and wrestle with the goodness of God in the midst of trouble and trials. 
The psalmist experienced all the dark emotions that we experience, anger, fear, jealousy, despair, and shame, and others. And the beauty of it that God is that God has given us the psalms, that we can relate to them, but also the psalms show us how we can cry out to God in the midst of suffering, and also how we can praise Him in the midst of all that we go through. This morning, I want to focus on Psalm 55, and in particular, the emotion of fear. Here's a trivia question for us. What is the most repeated command in the Bible? Might have given it away based on the topic, but it is do not fear. But the reality is we do fear, and our fears come in many shapes and sizes. But Psalm 55 shows us that uh, it shows us what we are to do with our fears. And since the topic this morning is fear, let me take a moment and share one of the most fearful moments of my life. It was about 14 years ago. I was 20 years old. I was in Myrtle Beach for a project um, with Campus Crusade for Christ. And one particular week, I was able to take part in a golf tournament where during this golf tournament, they would award prizes for various shots. Well, on the 18th hole, I shot over the green and into a sand trap. And apparently, this is a very difficult shot to make. And so they rewarded me with the grand prize, which was a free bungee jump. But, yeah, that's where uh, they tie a few uh, cords to you and let you drop a long, long way, if you're not familiar with bungee jumping. So the day, the day comes, and I arrive at the jump site, and fear begins to build within me. I sign my life away, walk over to the platform, and I begin to get harnessed in. And after a while, I'm looking around, I finally look at the guy, I say, where's the jump site? He kind of looks at me funny. I said, you know, the big air mattress that catches me if something goes wrong? And he looks at me casually, and he says, oh, we don't have one. That actually won't save you. That's just to make you feel better. At this point, fear is so intense that I can hardly move. I get strapped in, and the crane lifts us up, our platform up, about 200 feet, approximately 20 stories. It's a beautiful view. I could pretty much see the whole beach of South Carolina at that point. The jump master, that was his title, the jump master asked me to move to the edge of the platform. If this guy was painted green, I would swear he was the Incredible Hulk. He was huge, so I moved forward quickly. <clears throat> And I begin, as I move forward, I get to the edge and I look down. And at this point, I can't describe the fear that has taken place. He tells me to put my arms out like this. And as soon as he counts down from 10, to just lean forward and fall. And he begins to count. By the time he gets down to one and then says, go, I realize that it's now and never. And I had bragged to all my project friends that I was bungee jumping, and so fear of looking like a sissy drove me to just go ahead and fall forward. Terror is not a strong enough word to describe the experience of that bungee jump. My mind was convinced that I was going to die. I had no concept of really what was taking place. In fact, I couldn't even scream. All that was going on within me was a, <laughs> it wasn't until the bungee had gone all the way down and recoiled back that I could actually scream like a little girl. <laughs> and I did. 
It was truly one of the most terrifying experiences of my life. And I share that just simply to illustrate that fear can be healthy. God has given us a sense of fear so that we can avoid danger. Fear that day was an indicator that my body was not intended to drop that fast. Fear, we could put other words to it, worry, nervousness, anxiety, is a response to potential harm. Fear is provoked when the threat of danger, whether physical danger or relational danger, exposes our inability to preserve that which we most deeply cherish. Let me say that again. Fear, the threat of danger, occurs when it, fear happens when what exposes within us is our ability, our inability to preserve that which we most deeply cherish. Most often, the things that we fear fall into two categories. One is fear of control, and the second is fear of failure. We see these typically, the fear of control, we can think of the ultimate one would be our very own death. That death comes to us all, we cannot control it. But there's also a fear of failure, which would be personal death, maybe our pride, our reputation, our status. We desperately want control, and we desperately hate failure. I spent this past weekend with a brother of mine in California, helping him to paint his condo. On the flight back, I started brainstorming the potential fears that we face in life that are common to all. And of the list that I came up with, which I'll read in a second, they all fall into one of two categories, or both. Again, fear of failure or fear of the things that we cannot control. Here's the list. Crashing airplanes, public speaking, loneliness, whether through no significant relationships, a failed or a failing marriage. We fear the doctor visit, illness and death, our death and the death of our loved ones. We fear our kids turning out wrong due to our parenting, due to our education choices for them, or potentially their dating and their friendship choices. We fear that they will not walk with the Lord. We fear not being able to have children, maybe. We fear an imposing boss, our inability to meet the demands of our careers, or losing our jobs. We fear not having enough financial resources to last a lifetime. We fear not making the grades or landing a satisfying career. We fear not meeting the expectation of others. We fear fading health and fading beauty. We fear safety at night in the car. We fear not making a significant dent in this world. We fear not being popular and respected. We fear the internal destiny of loved ones who are not following Christ. We fear messing up major life decisions that will impact us forever. We fear the answers to the questions, do I really have what it takes? And will anybody truly love me? And there are many other things that we fear. So when do our fears cross over from being healthy to being unhealthy? When do our fears cross over to being destructive and spiritually harmful to us? Our fears are spiritually unhealthy and destructive when they distort reality, and this happens in a couple of ways. It's when our fear becomes bigger than life, bigger than us, and even bigger than God. But more significantly, it's when this reality is distorted. It's when fear distorts our picture of God, that maybe we see Him as weak 
or uncaring or unwilling to enter in. After all, we might reason, if he was powerful and caring, why would he leave us in this mess? Thus, we are quick to worry, but slow to pray and hesitant to trust God. But this morning, simply for me to say, don't fear, don't fear, it's not enough. No matter how hard we try, we cannot suppress our fears as if they don't exist. They do exist. Our fears are real. They may be irrational, but they are real. And if we seek to suppress them, they'll continue to resurface in other destructive ways in our lives. Instead, we must face our fears honestly and allow them to lead us to the deeper question that fear prompts. The question that fear prompts is this. Can I trust God to protect me? Can I trust God? It's really a simple question, but it's profound in the way in which it plays itself out in our lives. For some, that question of can I trust God, for some in here, the answer may be no. Maybe you have experienced some things that you have decided you will no longer trust God. And if you fall in that category, I simply ask that you would consider Psalm 55 this morning. But for most of us, my guess is, to answer the question, can I trust God, our answer is, yes, but. Yes, but I'm suspicious of God's plan. Yes, but I still want to maintain a measure of control over my situation. Yes, but as long as harm doesn't come to me or my loved ones. And God has graciously given us Psalm 55 to show us that David wrestled with this question of, can I trust God? And we're invited, along with David, to wrestle with the question as well. In verses 1 and 2, David cries out to God quickly. He says, give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from, from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint, and I moan. David's quick to cry out for mercy. Attend to me. Answer me. He's restless, which restlessness, it's a great picture of the destructive nature of fear and actually can, can lead us into a great way of naming our fears. At night, when you lay in your beds before you drift off to sleep, or maybe in the morning before the day starts, what makes you restless? What fears cause restlessness? In the course of his prayer to the Lord, David describes the condition of his own heart. We see that in verses 4 and 5. He says, My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me. Horror overwhelms me. We see that his fear is both internal and external. Internal, in verse 4, that he is, he is, his heart is in anguish within him. But external, we see this in verse 5. The fear has caused him to trembling, or caused him to tremble. He's trembling because he's overwhelmed. And his overwhelming fear tempts him to flee. We see this in verses 6 through 8. David says, And I say, Oh, that I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far off. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. David desires to flee like a dove. And the dove, well known in Israel, was one that would nest in the crevices of cliffs outside the chaos of the city. 
David desires to flee like a dove. It's important for us to note here that, uh, that our fears are meant to drive us to the comfort and protection of the Lord. But there's a great danger here, because if we do not quickly turn to God with our fears, we will turn to other things. We do turn to other things. There are many false gods that offer us great comfort. It's fleeting comfort. It's false comfort. But they're there to offer us comfort. Maybe it's gossip with friends and family. Maybe it's running to the refrigerator or maybe neglecting the food that we need. Could be pornography, alcohol and drugs. Maybe it's working harder or compromising integrity in the workplace for fear of not making it. Could be the righteous deeds that we do in order to win God's favor because we fear Him. Maybe it's painting a smile on our face or avoiding people out of fear. Could be shopping, watching TV, gambling, and there's a whole list of of, uh, compulsive behaviors that we might enter into due to the fears that we wrestle with. So in this psalm, what is it that David fears? This psalm doesn't specify exactly who his enemy is. And part of the reason for that is that David writes this in such a way that others can identify with this psalm and utilize it. But but David does give us some insight into who his enemy is. We see this in verses 12 through 14. For it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It's not an adversary who deals insolently with me, then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house, we walked in the throng. And down at verse 20, my companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. David's enemy was a familiar friend. The worst hurt of all is that this friend of David's was one that, he, that together they both worshipped in the house of God. We can't be certain in this passage who David is referring to, but it does sound very similar to the events of that of Absalom and David. Absalom was David's son, who at one point rebelled against his own father and stole the kingdom away from him. And David's close friend and his companion, Ahithophel, his wise counsel, turned against David and offered his advice to Absalom. We see this... I'll just reference this. I don't have time, and it'd be a whole different sermon, but it's in 2 Samuel 15 through 18, if you're interested in reading about this. It was David's close companion that was full of hypocrisy and deceit and caused David to run for his very life. Some have suggested that this psalm also anticipates the betrayal of Jesus by Judas. And indeed, there are some striking similarities We see in the psalm that David desires to flee, and he does, but he doesn't flee to the wilderness like a dove, and he doesn't flee to false gods for comfort. He flees to God. He acknowledges his fears to God. He lays his burdens before the Lord, and he calls on God to sustain him. We see this in verses 16 through 19. David says, But I call to God, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. 
He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage. For many are arrayed against me. God will give ear and humble them. He who is enthroned from of old, because they do not change and they do not fear God. David calls out to God evening and morning and at noon. He calls out throughout the day. And it's not because David fears that God doesn't hear him. He acknowledges in verse 7, or verse 17, that God hears his voice. But oftentimes, God does desire for us to call out to him, not just once or twice, but throughout the day, because God's desire is to build consistent dependency upon him. In verse 19, at the end of it, David mentions that his enemies do not change or fear God. Here, it's important to say a few words about the fear of God. The Bible speaks of two types of fear. There is servile fear. We get that from the word servant. But there's also filial fear. We would get that from the Greek word for love, phileo. Servile fear is the kind of fear that a slave feels towards a cruel and unyielding master. It's the fear of the unbeliever. It is the fear of one who has not received, not embraced Christ as the Lord and Savior, and therefore has rejected Christ. And there's animosity towards God because the conclusions have been drawn in his or her, his or her mind that are wrong conclusions about God. But it's at the point at which a person is reconciled to God through trust in Christ that their fear changes from a fear that repels us away from Christ to a fear that draws us into his presence. It is a tragic misunderstanding for Christians to live out of servile fear, a fear of the wrath of God. Phileo fear, on the other hand, or filial fear, is a righteous fear. It is the loving fear which a child fears towards his loving father. It's an understanding that wrath has been replaced by unconditional love. How can we be sure that God no longer has fearful wrath towards us? Turn, if you would, to Psalm 75, 8. You might want to keep your finger in Psalm 55. We will return to it. Psalm 75, 8 says this, For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine mixed well, and he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to its dregs. This picture is the cup of wrath, which is mentioned a number of times throughout the Old Testament scriptures. Now, if you would turn to Matthew 26. We need to make an important connection here. In Matthew 26, remember that in the Garden of Gethsemane, it was the night before the crucifixion of Christ. Jesus is deeply troubled. And in verse verse 38, he tells his disciples, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Then Jesus goes on in 39, and he says this, My Father, this is his prayer, My Father, if it be possible... Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. 
This very cup that Jesus is talking about is the cup of wrath. Let's not over-spiritualize this away, though, as far as Christ's fear is concerned. Jesus was fully man and fully God. He knew from the foundation of the universe that he would take on flesh and bear the penalty for the sins of his creation. His greatest fear wasn't man, nor really was it pain. His greatest fear was God's wrath. Jesus pleaded to escape the horror of this father's assault and his abandonment, praying that the cup would be taken from him. But at the cross, Jesus took the full wrath. He drank the cup in its entirety. And the child of God must understand that the cup is totally empty. The cup of wrath was completely poured out on Christ at the cross. So what does this truth do for our fear of God? If we understand that the cup is empty, we'll fear him in a way that moves us not away from him, but actually compels us towards him. Sinclair Ferguson, in his book Grow in Grace, says this, Filial fear is an indefinable mixture of reverence, fear, pleasure, joy, and awe, which fills our hearts as we realize who God is and what he has done for us. It's a love for God, which is so great that he would be ashamed, or that we would be ashamed to do anything which would displease or grieve him and makes us happiest when we are doing his will. Filial fear is produced by God's intense love for us. It is a love that understands that though we deserve God's judgment, we've been forgiven at the cross. And though it's an understanding that though God is righteous, he has declared us righteous only because of the righteousness of Christ on our behalf. Filial fear is the grateful response of sinners who have become saints. And growth in this kind of fear does a few things for us. First, it keeps us from continuing in sin because we desire to please our Father. It also destroys servile fear. We'll follow Christ out of desire and awe rather than duty and dread. But also, growth in filial fear helps us to have a big, healthy fear of God, which diminishes the earthly fears. There's this another story that Sinclair Ferguson tells of an officer in the United States Army who was in a western city during a time of intense excitement and rioting that was taking place. The streets were overrun daily by mobs and crowds, violence everywhere. People were in desperate fear. One day, the officer was walking down the middle of the street, and he noticed a man walking his, his way as well. But he noticed with this man, he wasn't carrying in fear. He was calm. He had an, he had an aura of confidence that, uh, that really was indescribable. And the officer was so taken aback that when they passed by each other, the officer turned and looked back at the stranger. At the same time, the stranger turned and looked back at the officer. And so right then, the stranger turned around, walked right up to the officer, put his finger on his chest, and he says, what is the chief end of man? If you recognize that question, it's the first question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. A question of great, it's a question regarding to the great doctrines of the Bible. The officer's response was, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And the stranger said, ah, I knew you were a shorter catechism boy by the look of you. And the officer turned to him and said, ah, I thought the exact same thing of you. 
The point of the story is not so much that these men had memorized their shorter catechism questions, though I do believe that is important, and I'm utterly thankful to this church, the children's ministry, that they do that with our kids. But the point is more so that the reason they had memorized it is because they had a healthy fear of God. They understood God in a way that when everybody else was cowering in fear, they could stand firm in the midst of troubles. In order for us to have a big fear that overshadows all our little fears, we must have a compelling picture of God that draws us towards him. In the psalm, the psalms bombard us with pictures of God's goodness and his power that draws us toward him. You don't have to turn to these, but I want to mention just a few psalms, read a few psalms or portions of them that help us to see God's power and his goodness. Psalm 47 exalts God as the great king over all the earth. Clap your hands, all people. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. Psalm 18 exalts God as our rock and fortress. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. Psalm 23 exalts God as our good shepherd, obviously a very familiar psalm. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And there's one other passage that I want to take us to this morning that gives us a great glimpse of God's goodness and power in the midst of fear. Please turn to 2 Kings chapter 6. Second Kings chapter 6. This passage takes place during the ministry of Elisha, who was a prophet to God's people in Israel, during a time when the kingdom was divided into Israel and Judah. At this point, the king of Syria was warring against Israel, but every time this king of Syria would advance his camp against Israel, God would reveal to Elisha the king of Syria's plans. And so Elisha would then turn and reveal to the king of Israel what the plans were. So every time the king of Syria was being thwarted and he could not understand why. Obviously, this caused a great amount of frustration from the king of Syria. And we're going to pick up this passage in verse 11. And the mind of, and the, mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, will you not show me who, is, who of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, he tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. And he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and seize him. It was told him, Behold, he is in Dothan. So he sent there, and horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning, or when the servant of Elisha rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. 
Let's pause for a moment. I would love to see the look on Elisha's servant's face at this minute. He's looking around. All he sees is a huge army around him. He's thinking, we're going to die. And Elisha just went crazy. He's seeing things. But then Elisha prays in verse 17. He says, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. The horses and chariots of fire, if you didn't catch that, it is the Lord's army that has now surrounded them. It's an awesome picture. The story goes on that the Lord strikes the Syrian army with blindness, and then Elisha leads all the blind army into the city of Samaria, which was Israel's hometown. So the Lord delivers the Syrian army right into the hands of God's people. The question in my mind in the story is, who do you and I resemble in this story? Hopefully we're not the enemy. We're not God. But more than likely, based on my experience, is that we probably often resemble Elisha's servant. The potential of harm, whether physical or relational, is encamped around us, and our fear hinders us from seeing God's powerful presence. What troubles have set up their camp right in front of your face? What fears hinder you from being able to focus on God? What fear is demanding your focus, even this morning? I love Elisha's prayer. Oh, Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. It's a great prayer for us. It's a great prayer for our loved ones as well. Lord, open our eyes that we may see your strong presence that surrounds us. And please, men and women, pray this for the elders and the leadership of this church, that God would open our eyes in such a way that we would fear him, which would drown out the fears of this earth. David ends his psalm with these words in verse 22. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. Many in here this morning are carrying huge burdens, huge fears. I have no intention of minimizing your struggles. They are real. But yet the scriptures are clear that you have not fallen through the cracks of God's universe. It's not as if God will ever turn to Jesus and say, whatever happened to so-and-so, I've lost track of him, and I don't know what to do. We may not know the outcome of that which we fear, but we can be assured that God does have it under control. He has not forgotten. He does have it under control. When verse 22 says that God will never permit the righteous to be moved, many may question that and say, but the righteous are moved. Harm does come to us. But we have to understand from this psalm and the context of the Bible that there's no promise that we won't endure suffering. There's no promise of happy and prosperous life all the time. But we do know this, that God will not leave the righteous in a fallen position forever. 
No, eventually God will vindicate the righteous. When it comes to fear, the the biblical writer's response is simply, don't fear. And it's not because they're insensitive. It's because their view of God's power and His goodness is so immense that it wipes out all of our earthly fears. So when you are lying in your bed at night, or maybe it's the first thing in the morning, and fears creep into your minds, don't trust in blind chance that they'll just work themselves out. And don't trust in your own resourcefulness. We must trust in God. Cast our fears upon Him. He is the one who will sustain us. Practically speaking, this means a few things. First, we must acknowledge our fears. Resist the impulse to act as if they aren't there and resist the impulse to run to other false gods. We must acknowledge our fears. Allow ourselves to wrestle with God with our fears. In contrast to the philosophy that says, oh, just trust in Jesus and all your worries will disappear. No, at times we have to struggle with them before God. And we must ask God to help us let go of our control and our fear of failure. And finally, remember God's goodness and His power. And we remember this through the Scriptures, which would suggest that we need to spend time in the Scriptures, being constantly reminded of God's goodness and His power. I want to end with just a few verses from Psalm 46. You don't have to turn there. You can just listen. It's a great psalm also dealing with fear. Verse 1 says, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. And I want to skip down to verse 10 of Psalm 46. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Be still and know that I am God. It takes a huge God to be able to ask us to be still and for us to know that we can rest and be still in Him. Please pray with me. Oh Lord, open our eyes that we may see Your goodness, that we may see Your power, that we may see You above our fears. Help us not to run to things that are fleeting to other comforts. Help us to run just to you, Lord. Pray that you would help us to wrestle with our fears, wrestle with our anxieties in a way that draws us closer to you and grows us in our faith. Lord, help us to be still before you in the midst of chaos, knowing that you are good, you are gracious, you are powerful. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.